Morning, everybody. Why don't you guys take a seat? It's good to see you all. How are we doing? Great. Good. You guys get that extra hour of sleep? How refreshed do you feel right now? <laughs> I'm actually surprised at that response. I feel amazing. Um, I like waking up early in the morning to the sun being up. That's kind of nice. Uh, in recent history, I've been waking up and it's been like dark and it makes it impossible for me to get out of bed. So I appreciate the time change. Um, but anyway, my name is Kyle. Um, it's good to see you all. This semester, we've been going through this series on the life of Jesus. Uh, if you've been with us, you know that. That is not a surprise for you. Um, and really, the idea has been we've been looking at the major events in Jesus' life so as to get a better picture of who Jesus is, a better picture of who it is that we're following, and consequently, what it would look like for us to follow him, right? And so um, if you're here in this room, there's a good chance that you're uh, somebody who's a follower of Jesus right now, um, or you're somebody who's trying to figure out if this Jesus is somebody that you'd like to follow. And so uh, in both cases, it's absolutely crucial that we have a clear understanding of who Jesus is, right? Um, I, I think uh, the tendency of our world is to sort of adapt um, God to be something that we would like him to be, something that we prefer. This is um, why so many people don't like the God of the Bible, because he tends to disagree uh, with us quite a bit, honestly. Um, he tends to disagree with our lives and our sin and, and all kinds of things. Uh, and, and honestly, I think that um, that is encouraging to me. Um, if the God of the Bible never disagreed with us at all, we should probably be very concerned about that. We should probably be very concerned that that's a man-made God and not a real God. A God that we kind of have crafted so as to, to um, cater to our own desires, our own needs, our own wants. And so that has been the heart of this series, really, is just get to the bottom of who this Jesus is. Who is Jesus really? What does he live like? Um, not what do we like about Jesus and what are the, the parts about Jesus' life that, that everybody loves, you know, like the, um, you know, love your neighbor as yourself. Everybody loves that because it's, it's nice to hear. But what about Everything, everything about Jesus' life. And so with all of that, um, Grant, last week, he was talking about Jesus' final instructions to his disciples, his uh, final preparations for them, uh, knowing where he's going to the cross, right? And so uh, this week, we're going to be in Mark 14, uh, and this begins really just a lot of the most famous events in Jesus' life, everything uh, leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection. And so uh, we're going to be in Mark 14 today. If you guys want to turn there, that's great. Uh, it's a long passage, um, but it's good. So, so, you know, zone in. Get, get into that mode if you need to. Um, pretend, I was about to say, pretend like you're in class, but that's probably not a good idea for a lot of you. Um, so you probably, that's not good. Anyway, Mark 14, 32. Then they came to a place named Gethsemane. And he told his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter and James and John with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and horrified. Then he said to them, my soul is swallowed up in sorrow to the point of death. Remain here and stay awake. Then he went a little farther, fell to the ground, and began to pray that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. He said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. Then he came and found them sleeping. Simon, are you sleeping? He asked Peter. Couldn't you stay awake one hour? 
Stay awake and pray so that you won't enter into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once again, he went away and prayed, saying the same thing. He came again and found them sleeping because they could not keep their eyes open. They did not know what to say to him. Then he came a third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The time has come. Look, the Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of sinners. Get up. Let's go. See, my betrayer is near. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, suddenly arrived. With him was a mob with swords and clubs from the chief priests, the scribes, and the elders. His betrayer had given them a signal. The one I kiss, he said, he's the one. Arrest him and take him away under guard. So when he came, he went right up to him and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And then they took hold of him and arrested him. And one of them, one of those who stood by, drew his sword, struck the high priest's slave, and cut off his ear. But Jesus said to them, Have you come out with swords and clubs as though I were a criminal to capture me? Every day I was among you, teaching in the temple complex, and you didn't arrest me, but the scriptures must be fulfilled. Then they all deserted him and ran away. Let's, let's pray real quick, and then we'll dive into this. Jesus, God, I just ask that you would be with us. I ask that you would uh, speak to us today. God, I ask that you would use me. I pray that any of the words that I speak would be your words, not my own. God, I pray uh, above all else that you would teach us from your scriptures, that you would teach us what it looks like to be followers of you, that you would teach us um, really what you're all about. God, I just pray all of this in your name. Amen. And, and so what we find here in this story is Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus being uh, betrayed by Judas, one of the 12 disciples. You may be familiar with this story. Uh, one of the 12 disciples that followed him. And so Jesus, knowing what he was sent here to do and realizing that the crucifixion is in his near future, uh, takes some time away to pray. And this is the, the last time that Jesus would have some alone time with the Father before uh, he gets crucified, right? Uh, and so we're seeing that Jesus, knowing something big is coming, knowing something uh, important is coming up, uh, takes some time aside to just be with the Father and to pray. And, and he knew uh, a lot that would or uh, that a lot would be happening in the coming days, in the coming weeks, and so he knew that he was not going to be able to get away and do this again once he was arrested and all of that. And really, he's kind of putting into practice this um, God-first mentality, right, um, where, he's, where he's being intentional about honoring God, being intentional about seeking God, uh, especially when it relates to the significant events that are going on. Um, and, and in general, I think that we should all be people of prayer. I think that that's true. Um, so, like, it shouldn't be unusual for us to pray in general, but it's also true that um, there are times when, when there are larger events that are going on that I'll, I'll take some time away to pray, some time away to acknowledge God, uh, to seek God, and, and just really just ask that he would be involved in um, whatever's happening there. Um, for example, obviously a way different context, way uh, less significant than Jesus dying on the cross, but uh, I think about my wedding day, um, just really a... Uh, an event that I think God is very much involved in. Um, lots of friends and family there to support um, the, the gift of a wife, of course, but also just this picture of, of Jesus and his relationship with the church. And so it just brings about a lot of praise and a lot of things like that. And so on that morning, on that day, I, I remember in my hotel room, I, I snuck out and 
um, really I just went away to, to spend some time with the Lord. I actually went to the weight room and, and just spent some time meditating and, and praying and being thankful before everything went down. And so Jesus is doing something sort of like that except with the weight of all humanity on his shoulders, right? Uh, and, and so we see Jesus uh, gets with the Father and he prays this really interesting prayer that we're going to talk about quite a bit. Um, and, and we even know from other accounts of this particular passage that Jesus was so anguished by what was coming up that he begins to sweat blood. And so there's, there's this deep understanding of, of what is coming. And so he prays, uh, and then he asks Peter and the disciples to stand watch, with, which they fail miserably at. Uh, and then after this is over, like a divine appointment, Judas comes, and he comes with a mob to arrest Jesus, and he betrays him with a kiss, which is sort of ironic for sure. Uh, we see Peter get a little bit rowdy and, and cut off a guy's ear. That's always fun. Um, and, and then Jesus gets arrested to be put on trial like a criminal, uh, despite being morally perfect. And so um, we're seeing a lot of things in Jesus' life. They're really starting to ramp up here. Um, a lot of the events for which Jesus came are, are beginning to happen, right? Um, everything that is happening basically from here until the end of the Gospels is kind of like the primary purpose for which Jesus came. And so we're seeing a lot of uh, escalation in the story, sort of a crescendo, so to speak. And, and so um, these are the events that Jesus had been preparing for, that Jesus had been preparing his disciples for. And so we're going to take a look at a few things uh, that I really want to own in on, a few things that I want to put a microscope on uh, regarding this section of Jesus' life. Um, we see in this passage, this prayer that Jesus um, is praying to the Father. He says this, Abba, Father, Daddy, right? All things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but you will. And, and so the cup that's being talked about here, if you're not familiar, is, is a metaphor for the wrath of God. Uh, this is something that we see throughout the scriptures, uh, especially in the Old Testament. It's really important. We're going to talk a little bit more on that later. But to clarify for the time being, Jesus at this point is intending to take on the wrath of God for us, right? Um, there's, that's not something that is really left up to interpretation. That is a consistent metaphor in the scriptures. Um, and, and so what we're seeing here in this prayer is a bit of Jesus' humanity. We're seeing that in his humanity, he desires a few things um, knowing, you know, that the, the cup is something that he is going to have to drink. The first thing he desires, he desires not to take on God's wrath. And who could blame him, right? Um, he desires to not, if at all possible, take on the wrath of God for all humanity, <laughs> if, if there's any other way, is kind of the idea here. He desires to not receive the wrath of God if he doesn't have to. And, and so he's asking the Father for another way. This, this desire is most at odds with the other two desires I'm going to talk about in a second. The second desire is this. He desires for people to be restored to a right relationship with the Father. Um, other uh, parallel accounts of this story cite Jesus saying things like, if it is possible, take this cup from me. Right? Or, or if there's any other way, take this cup from me. And, and the idea here is like, if there's any other way to do what? To restore our relationship with God let that happen instead of this, right? And, and so he desires people to be restored to a right relationship with the Father. And the last thing is this, he desires to do the will of the Father. And this is where we're going to camp out most of the time. Jesus makes this clear. He says, 
not my will, but your will be done. That is to say, not uh, what I desire in my humanity. Don't let that happen, but instead, let your will happen. Everything that Jesus does in his life ultimately points back to this, points back to his kind of unity and like-mindedness with the will of God the Father. Everything he does is God's will and not his own, um, and Jesus constantly models that for us. He's constantly making it clear that, that God has plans and he has a will, and that it is in our best interest and in the world's best interest that we uh, pursue that and submit to that instead of our own will, instead of uh, our own desires, and to deny our own desires and will whenever they conflict. Uh, Jesus says this kind of on repeat. I have a few examples of this um, in the Gospels. This is explicitly Jesus speaking. Matthew 16, 24, if anyone wants to come with me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Matthew 6, 10, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's a prayer. Matthew 6, 33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be provided for you. John 6, 38, for I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. These are not the only examples of Jesus talking about this idea in scripture. Not the only examples of Jesus pursuing God's will above kind of his own in his humanity. And so Jesus is modeling this full and complete submission to the will of the Father, even when that's at odds with his own personal desires. That his entire being is to be devoted to God's will and God's purposes and not his own. And this is, in a sense, all of this. You can boil down all of the world's problems, the core of the world's problems, to this one thing. That we like to do our own thing and not God's. We like to be our own gods. We like to be in control. We like to uh, really, we don't like this dying to ourselves business. We don't like that at all. We don't like submitting to what God wants instead of what we want. Uh, and so, even just a small example of this, Lindsay and I, we live on the south side of campus down by Murphy's Pub, if you know where that's at. And, and so, one of the dilemmas we have uh, where we live is that it's kind of tough to find parking some nights, um, Thursday and Friday nights especially. Um, it's not ever been too, too much of an issue, uh, but weekend nights, it can kind of be a challenge, and Thursday nights, it can kind of be a challenge because a lot of people come into Clifton, uh, probably to party or whatever. That's, you know, whatever. And, and so Friday night, I got home sort of late, and I uh, looked for a parking spot for a while uh, to no avail and uh, ended up parking in this spot that um, my car could fit in, I felt like. Um, it was, basically, it went right up to the edge of a driveway. Um, it was it was for sure a little bit over the driveway, but just a little bit, you know. Um, and, and so I, I just, I could tell that if they tried to get out of their driveway, they'd have no issues. They're neighbors. I was like, eh, it's probably fine. Honestly, I'm going to move in the morning. I have a wedding to go to, that kind of thing. And so right before I'm about to head out for this wedding, um, I get a call from DP because uh, this cop came over to the forge, which is where I, I used to live, uh, probably where my car is registered. Um, I'm guessing. This cop came over to the forge and he came there to warn me that my car is illegally blocking someone's driveway and it's about to be towed. And uh, so I'm a little, you know, alarmed by this, a little bit confused by this. And he just kind of came there to warn me. And so I was like, wow, uh, good guy, cop. I don't know. What a guy. Um, Cincinnati cops. I have good experiences with Cincinnati cops. I don't know why. That makes it sound like I have a ton of experiences with Cincinnati cops. But... Um, I digress. Uh, 
but the reason for this was the lady that lived there, that, that lived where that driveway was, uh, evidently called the police, and this guy came and looked and saw that it was kind of egregious to call the police about this one, you know what I mean? Like, and so he's like, I'm not going to ticket this guy, I'm just going to go to where he lives and tell him maybe he should move his car before it gets towed, because this lady called me, she's kind of mad, I need to do something about it, I, need, I probably need to call a tow truck, you know, that sort of thing, even though it's, I don't know, sort of ridiculous. And so I... I am a little confused. I got there to move my car. I promise the story's wrapping up soon. Uh, (laughs) I go out there to move my car. This lady comes out of her house, and she's kind of like, I mean, she's really mad. I don't know. I don't know why she's really mad, but she, well, I know why she's really mad. Uh, But she was really mad. She comes out, and she's like, you know they'll ticket you for that. She's like, you know they'll tow you for that, and that kind of thing. And she's like, don't block my driveway again, even just a little bit. It makes it really hard to get out, especially with big cars. And I'm standing there, and I'm seeing my car, and I'm seeing the driveway. And, uh, you know, I'm like a couple inches past into the driveway. And seeing just the, the cars that are parked there, I was like, there should be no issue here. You know, I'm like, what is going on here? I'm very confused. And in that moment, it took the spirit of God in me not... To, to explode, because it took, it, my will was to say, I could drive a freight truck through this hole. Like, what is wrong with you? Why did you feel the need to call the police on me? Do you have nothing better to do in your free time? I was fuming on the way to this wedding about this. Uh, Lindsay and I were like silent in the car like the whole way there because each of us were like replaying this in our mind, like, are you kidding me? Like, what a wench, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was, I was so mad, right? My will would have been to, to give her a piece of my mind, right? <laughs> Bring it back. Let's reel it back in. Let's reel it back in. And yet, to submit to God's will of loving my neighbor and to just say, ah, I'm sorry. It won't happen again. I didn't realize that that bugged you so much. You know, in, in my heart, I'm just like, Real angry, trying not to show that on my face. <laughs> Lindsay walks away to go move her car too, because hers is also illegally parked. <laughs> um, <laughs> this is this is of course it's a small matter, but I gotta tell you, listen. On the daily, I have this sort of power struggle with God. Regularly, I want to be captain of my life. I want to uh, be the God of my life. I want to do these things that are obviously against what God would have me do. I want to do things my way. I want to live a nice life. I want to live comfortably. Investing in my relationship with God is hard. Investing in the life of people is hard. Dying to myself and to my desires and saying yes to God's desires and God's will is hard. And this is where Jesus models something so significant for us. Uh, He sets such a high standard because Jesus, at different points in his life, makes it really clear. He makes it really clear that he knew where he was going. He knew uh, that Jesus was going to betray him. He he mentions this as early as as John 6. He mentions it multiple times throughout his life. Um, He knows what's coming for him. And and he says so numerous times in Uh, And yet, before he even begins to pray this prayer, before he begins to say, God, if there's any other way, he makes his way to the garden. 
And, and this is significant because, again, he's God in the flesh, so he knows what's coming. He knows that Judas is coming. And yet, what we see here uh, is that before Jesus even asks this, before Jesus makes this request, his yes to God's will is on the table. This is why I like that video so much that we showed. Jesus' yes was on the table. He says yes to the will of the Father long before he says this prayer. He says, yes, Father, whatever your will is, I'll do that. No matter what that is, no matter what that's going to cost me, no matter what that involves. And I got to say, this is different from how I treat my relationship with God most of the time. Um... This is different because uh, for me, I, I think I want the will of God in my spirit, in my heart, uh, and yet a lot of the times I'm, I'm not looking for it until God sort of smacks me in the face with it, right? It's not until God makes something abundantly clear that I feel even like obliged to like seek his will. And, and there's a huge difference there. It's sort of like putting our fingers in our ears and coming before God and saying, yeah, God, I want to do your will. Just tell me what to do. It's a little ridiculous, Right? Rather than coming to God with our lives and our resources and laying them before him, laying them before God and saying, yes, God, your will be done. Like, yes, God, like, I want to say yes to you regardless of what that means, regardless of where these things go. My resources, God, how would, what would you have me do with my resources? My time, how would you have me spend my time, God? My friendships, my relationships, what should those look like? My words, What would you have me say? What would you have me say to to my friends and the people around me? My career, like how do you want me to work, God? Laying our yes before God, what would it look like for you to do that? To lay your yes before God before he even speaks, before he says anything at all. What would that look like for you? I mean, if you take nothing away from this message, take that What would it look like for you to say yes to God, to say yes to God's will regardless of what that is for you? There's uh, there's this guy, Rob Warren. Um, He's a pastor out at the University of Wisconsin now. Um, He used to be a pastor in the H2O network. Um, He said something a while back at a Man Makers that really resonated with me. It's um, unbelievably simple and yet unbelievably difficult at the same time. He, he, He was talking about asking ourselves these two questions. And these are the two questions. First, what is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? This rhythm that he continues to talk about, that Jesus shows us, really. What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? This constant rhythm of seeking God's will. And so we see Judas um, he, he comes to Jesus, this man that has been following after Jesus for quite some time. And what we find is that Jesus betrays Jesus for a little bit of money, which sounds a little ridiculous. Um, a lot of people feel like you read stuff like that and you're like, what an idiot. You know, like what a moron. I would never do something like that. Um, and yet we can actually relate to Judas quite a bit here. What we see is that Judas did not submit to the will of the Father. Judas did not lay his yes on the table. He wanted to be in control. He wanted to be his own God. He didn't believe Jesus to be Lord, which is where many of us would differ. He didn't have a close relationship with Jesus, and ultimately he succumbed to his greed. And and, and Jesus, all throughout this process, was so patient, right? Like, he knew Judas would betray him, still let him uh, walk with him, 
Still let him be a part of what was happening. Still let him be his disciple. And he loved Judas just the same. And I think that it's important that we see clearly that we're not that different from Judas. We're really not. Um, I, I think if we take a look at our lives, we realize that even now we continue to say no to God. We continue to uh, choose to say no to God. We have with our lives, I know for me especially before I became a Christian, but even now we have with our lives continued to say no to God's will. We want to do our own thing. I still struggle with this even now. Um, and, and honestly, it's not even just Judas. We see at the end of this passage the disciples flee. We know not long after this, Peter denies Jesus. And so in a sense, really, they've all kind of betrayed Jesus. Uh, there's this scripture in, in Romans 5.10 that, that feels particularly relevant. It says this, For if, while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And so we see, what we're seeing here is that we've all betrayed God. All of us have betrayed God. We, it even goes so far as to say, we were enemies of God. That's a pretty bold statement. To, to, I mean, a lot of us, we come to church, we don't like to think about it like that, right? We don't like to think that we were enemies of God. We like to think, oh yeah, I'm basically good. I come to church, I try to learn as much as I can about God and about the Bible and that sort of thing. No, the scriptures say that we were enemies of God, but that Jesus willingly gave himself over to be crushed, gave himself over uh, to drink the wrath of God, the cup that we deserve, that an enemy of God deserves. And he didn't do this just to model how to lay down our lives. He didn't do it just for that, although that's valuable and important. But the scriptures say that he did this to reconcile us to God. That's what it says. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through his son. And so what we see is we've all betrayed God. We've all uh, separated ourselves from God. We've all made ourselves out to be enemies just like Judas. And yet Jesus continued to submit himself to the will of the Father so that we would be reconciled to him, so that we would have a rightful relationship with God. And so what I want to do now, this is, is, is valuable. Why don't you guys, all of you, I want you to bow your head. And I want you to close your eyes. And I want you to think, everyone, everyone in the room, Bow your head and close your eyes and think. I want to ask you, you specifically, will you say yes to Jesus? Will you say yes to Jesus? And what does that mean for you? What would it mean for you to say yes to Jesus right now? What are the things that you're holding back? Maybe that's letting Jesus into a part of your life that you'd rather not. Maybe that's giving more away to the needy or to the poor. Maybe that's talking to that friend you have that you know is far from God and sharing with him the hope that you have in Jesus. Or maybe for you, this just means saying yes to the cross for the first time. Maybe that means saying yes to the work that Jesus did to restore you to a right relationship with the God of the universe, choosing to give your life over to God and to believe in the work that Jesus did to save you from the cup that you should have had to drink. Listen, if that's you, like, talk to me. Like, you can talk to me during uh, the, the worship set after the service. There's nothing more valuable 
to be talking about. There are going to be people up at the back of the room um, with prayer lanyards on that would love to pray with you, that would love to talk to you about what it looks like to say yes to Jesus. And so what we're going to do now, we're going to pray. We're going to enter into a time of worship. Um, The band, if you guys want to come up here, uh, that would be great. And and just praise God because God, uh, in a sense, said yes to us, said yes to desiring us. Father, I just thank you for I thank you for who you are. I thank you for loving us well. I thank you for desiring us, for desiring us so much that you submitted, that you submitted yourself. You uh, lived selflessly so that we would know you. God, thank you for that. Lord, help us to say yes to you constantly. Help us to continue, continually evaluate our lives. What is it that you're saying to us and what are we going to do about it? God, we love you and we pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. You guys should be standing. Worship with us, please.